Welcome to the Unusual Creatures Podcast, a podcast about the unusual creatures that fall in love, stay, stray, come back, and sometimes leave this insane business of artistry and show. Against all odds, our guests have persevered and told stories using their mediums of choice. Now, these are their stories and our stories. The incredible people who you might know by sight, whose names you may not recognize, whose work you've definitely experienced or will one day experience. Art is a ripple effect, and these artists' creativity makes a lasting impact. Let's hear more. Good evening, good morning, good night, ladies and gentlemen. Hello, wherever you are in the world. My name is Thomas Dane. And I'm Jenny Gomez. Oh, I love that. Yes. And we are the Unusual Creatures, and this is the Unusual Creatures Podcast. Hello. Hello, world. You're joining us again. I'm so excited. Again and again and again. Here we are. We're like months. We can say months now. We're like months in, plural. Like, I know. We, is... have, we haven't killed each other yet. It's a miracle. No, well, because we can't get to each other <laughs> physically. <laughs> we can oh, yeah, maybe, maybe the audience doesn't know that, that we've been doing this entire thing virtually. We so, should yes. mention that because a couple of guests have, um, thought, a couple of people have actually said, oh, you guys sound so good. I thought you were in the same room. So thank you. But no, we're not. So this is. We're uh, not. Yeah. But we it's are. It's quite possible there would have been physical violence at this point. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're, not. we're not 20 anymore. Oh, I actually just said that. But I'm like, oh, it's all right. We'll survive. It's a tragedy. How's, how's life? How's life going in, in the Carolinas? Oh, it, it, the Carolinas are lovely. It's starting to be spring here. So uh, we're in the phase of our season, which we call down here, the pollening. And there is literally <laughs> yellow pollen, pollen on, on everything. everything. The, the, so, yeah, so, so, you know, we're just at that time of year where everything is yellow down here, which, which is something that was new to me. I'd never experienced that before in Florida or New York or elsewhere in the world. It's, it's, uh, it's discerning. That would kill me. I'd have to have Allegra just shot straight into my veins. I would Basically. be like, I would be like the face. I'd call Allegra and be like, "Let me be the face to your company because you're keeping me alive." So oh, yeah, yeah. Well, no, we're mainlining Claritin over here. I don't even have allergies, and this place has given me allergies. But you know. so, anyway, so I'm currently allergic to North Carolina. But other than that, everything's well. <laughs> Everything is well except for the uh, the allergen. <laughs> so enough about us. Let's let's dive in. Who do we have this week, Jenny? Tell us a little bit. Ah, uh, yes. We have another one of my ensemble studio theater cohorts. Tom likes to say I've turned EST into my casting couch, and that's just fine. Um, <laughs> I'm super thrilled today because we're talking to Megan Tusing. And Megan Tusing is actually one of my favorite actresses of all time. And that is not hyperbole. Every time I've performed with her or seen her perform on a stage, she's blown me away. But these days, Megan is an award-winning audiobook performer. Mm -hmm. um, so, and, and I have not spoken to her since, you know, for, like during that trajectory. So I'm super mm -hmm. excited to dig in. She's recorded over 250 audiobooks from her home studio. 250. Um, she's, an, um, she's a big Shakespeare nerd, which we're going to talk about. Um, mm -hmm. Tom, your favorite thing. I love um, it. Love it. Yep, yep. And she's also the host of her own podcast called The Joyful Toolkit. Um, so we're going to dig into all of that. And I can't wait for the audience to learn a little bit about voiceover recording for audiobooks. It's so cool. And just about Megan's general trajectory in life and meet this 
delightful human that I'm so lucky to know. Yes, I am super stoked. And as we begin, ladies and gentlemen, as always, please follow us on all of our social medias, which we'll get into later. Thank you for following us if you already are. And um, let's do this. I, you got me super excited. I'm tingling. Just so everybody knows, we can all see each other. And Jenny and I are in like a, a bare bones minimum. Uh, how we're putting this audio together. And Megan is in this high tech, fancy Star Wars esque uh, arena booth. That she's it's fabulous. It's fabulous. She is professional. Yeah, people professional. Megan's <laughs> recording from Lucas Arts is what it looks like. Yeah, uh, Chewbacca. <laughs> is in after me so yeah yeah <laughs> recording session so welcome megan thank you for joining Hi. the unusual creatures yeah thanks for having me i'm so excited i saw your uh i follow all your what are they called the channels on the socials the social media thank you. i follow you on social media and it's been exciting to see the different episodes and guests that are popping up some familiar faces so I'm excited to be here. I love it. We're so excited to have you. Um, is there anything I missed in the introduction, Megan? Otherwise, I would like to just start jumping into what we always jump into, which is your origin story. Let's jump. Let's jump. I love it. Uh, yeah, go. Yeah, I, I know you from Brooklyn, of course, but um, but you're a West Virginia native. Um, so would you consider yourself a Southerner or is West Virginia already the North? Ooh. I don't know. I think, well, to be honest, like I spent my formative years in West Virginia, but I'm a Navy brat, actually. So Ooh. for the first, I I was born in Virginia Beach, and then my dad got stationed in, I think, San Diego, California. I was too little to know. I know it was California. And then they got <laughs> stationed back in Virginia Beach, and then my dad retired, and we moved to West Virginia to be closer to um, family. And so from the age of nine until uh, graduating high school, I lived in West Virginia. Um, I originated from inside my mother's womb. Um, <laughs> okay. how, how Shakespearean of you in that I delivery. Know, I love right? it. <laughs> um, in eighth grade, there was a play, a high school play that I auditioned for. Ended up getting the lead as Robin Hood in a com comedy of called Hood of Sherwood. I don't know. It I was ridiculous. We did it in, we did it in like an old high school gym it was crazy, but I just fell in love with acting. And then my my parents, who are, whether it's good or bad, wonderful supporters of my insanity, and they they sent me to acting class. And there was like a town about, we live in the middle of nowhere. So like an hour away, there was a little theater called the Wayside Theater, and they had acting classes for young, uh, young kids. And I signed up for that, and my mom just kept taking... You know, I, I just kept going back and taking classes. And then there was, this is where Shakespeare comes in. There was mm -hmm. a Shakespeare camp that I went to. Oh, okay. A couple years Love in a row. Love a nerd camp. Oh, man. Yes. I was so nerdy. And I remember. How many years in a row? I think two or three. I, I did. Okay. They had like different age groups. And I was on the cusp of one age group. And I wept until my mom would send me to the next. Like I was in the younger group. But I could go to the older group and I like clung to the legs of anyone around from camp. And I was like, I'll never leave. And <laughs> let me stay another session. Um, I don't know. But like at that point, there was no hope for me. Like I, <laughs> I couldn't do anything else. I was just like, this shall be. I had no also practical thought in my head of like, how will you make money? And we never no, do. I was Can just like, do. I shall act. <laughs> and then I went to college at James Madison University in Virginia. Um, and then three and a half years later, I got on a bus, a um, Chinatown bus, all the way up to New York City. 
And love, right I, out of this is like right out of the movies. Right I out love of the it. Movies. Yeah. My friend Mark and his boyfriend let me stay on their their spare bedroom, or it was like a railroad apartment, and they had like a bunk mm-hmm. bed. Anyway, they let me crash there. I had to find an apart. You know the hustle. You find the apartment, and I had. I was like, I have a job. It was an internship that paid a hundred dollars a week, but I was like, <laughs> I have a job. <laughs> And, of course. Um, and then, like, the rest is – and I was in New York, and you know New York unfolds, and we'll go into more of that. But, like, basically that's how I got to New lo- York at the ripe age of 21. I oh love it. Oh, my God. That's right it. off I the want, Chinatown bus. It's right cinematic, really. That's, it's, yeah, it's like, we've seen it, but also that's like Renee Zellweger, too. She stepped off the bus, but in L.A. And that was like – the only thing she said, she wasn't going to show her boobs. That's in her in her her active studio. She's like, it's my only thing, and she hasn't. But um, you know, it's funny. I want to say uh, to defend myself. Had I had a Shakespeare camp, I want to say I think I might have been. I might have been in a better place because my intro to Shakespeare was my English teachers. So that was like, and everybody had to say a line here and there. So th- that's where I'm like, it's PTSD. So, but I'm learning, I'm learning. And now I'm like, oh, you, man. Guys are, you guys are teaching me. I love it. Yeah, You <laughs> want to become a nerd, start young. So, yeah. <laughs> Go to nerd camps. You're in New York City. You have this $100 a, a month? Week. A week. A week. $100 a week. Oh, it's a boon for New York that's City fancy. back then. No, right? Yeah. Was like, look fancy. at me, I'm rolling that's- in it. <laughs> that was cold hard cash. I know. I think I was. Yeah. What What did you What did you start doing? Did you grab a backstage magazine? Did you try to get an agent? Did you just start going to auditions? Like, what was the tr- like? What What happened next? Like, you're um, you found an apartment clearly. So I had a. No, she stole friend. the top bunk. Yeah, <laughs> I stole the top bunk. So I had the Mark um, and his boyfriend at the time, Chris, were both people I knew from college. So my network started from knowing people from JMU when I moved up. And one of my best friends was also in the city and she was looking to switch up her living situation. She and her other friend from college, Rick. Oh, Rick. Me, Rachel and Rick all found an apartment in um, Jackson Heights. But it was right on Queens Boulevard, and we lived on the top floor, and we were like, we're making it. But we were like a 20-minute <laughs> walk from the subway. Our landlords weren't always around, and when they were around, were hard to kind of get a hold of. So we kind of dealt of with their, their son, Sal, who, the Sopranos, he was straight out of the Sopranos. It was, it was the exact situation you should find yourself in when you first moved to New York City and you have no idea what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And I smoked so this, many this. cigarettes that and during that time. I was like, yeah, because we had a balcony, and I was like, ah, I love it. I just like having the best. I'm an artist in New York, yes. (laughs) And we would smoke. And I remember my friend Rick, like when he moved up, he didn't, he's very much a vagabond and he had nothing with him. And he was like, I have my bed, which was just an egg carton (laughs) mattress topper that he folded over twice and put a sheet on top of. And he borrowed, borrowed for like a year and a half a pillow from me. And then when he finally did go back to Virginia to get his stuff, the only thing he brought back with him was a piece of his drum set. A piece, not the whole drums. <laughs> like the bass part, I guess. Okay. And he just put some stuff in it and like, I think maybe his keyboard, but not his computer. And he came back and he was like, I got my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> he was the best roommate ever, though. He was so, he worked in, um, uh, he found a job working in construction on Broadway. Like, oh, you know. Just happened he, upon it. Happened upon, that's very much Rick. He just like happens upon these amazing things and then drifts to the next thing and 
takes his egg carton with him. I haven't seen oh him in God. years, but he's such a gem. Rick, um, if you're I'm listening, going... we want to hear from you, Rick. If you're listening, like, you're listening Rick? is it still the same egg carton? Is it a different in Baltimore one? somewhere with our other friend Evan making really weird avant-garde theater? I hope so. If you're out there, Rick, shout like, out. We're gonna find him. Rick's gonna find gonna us find after him. this podcast. Uh, we, we have to he find is Rick. an unusual creature. But but thank you. I have to say, Megan, I I pray that you are writing all this down for some indie short film because so far I'm like this is too good. It's so like Patty Smith, Robert Maplethorpe, like just kids, you know. Like Francis Hogg, Greta Gerwig is coming for this story. That's like- oh man, it was. You don't think about it when you're in it, right? But like now that I look back on it, I'm like, wow, we were scrappy. Like I love so detail. far. I have to say, like one of my one of my what are the jobs that I've assigned myself through this this show is writing down the merch lines. And so far, I'm like Megan's merch is like oh Rick, and like how will you make money? Ooh. I'm gonna act. That's a tote bag. You're in Jackson Heights. You're living on Queens Boulevard. What was your first like big acting job where you're like, oh my God, this is it. Like, this is it. I'm, I'm, I'm acting in New York. Oh, right. You said how did, okay. So I also got lucky. I should say this. I was very fortunate in that one of the alumni of my college that I was good friends with ended up getting a job working for a talent management company. I had no idea how hard it was to get representation. And she and I were just having lunch one day and she was like, so I'm allowed to sign some people. Uh, I want to sign you. And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I was so fussy. I had no, I was just like, I don't know. I, oh, maybe. <laughs> and then I came to my senses, I guess, and agreed to it. And so I was very lucky to have representation like almost immediately in the city. I guess one of the, I don't know if I call it a big break, but I guess the first break for me was I got a gig on Law and Order. So there you go. S- SVU. Uh, yeah. Well, well, that's a huge first break. That's like yeah. the biggest, that's the big job that you get. Right, when which you episode, to New York. passage if you're which like ep- I did this. Which episode are you? Are, are um, you murdered or like are, did you I'm murder not somebody? murdered. I'm I I know it's like I think it's I have to look up on my IMDb. Um it's like I think it's season 8 episode something. Anyway, it's with Christopher <laughs> Maloney and I it's just one scene where I am his daughter's snooty college roommate who um, she's basically like gone off the deep end and gotten into some bad drugs. And he's like, you got to tell me. Is this the Ellen Burstyn episode? Yes, it is. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. It's it's in my DVR right now. Oh, my God. I'm going to watch it. I love that episode. I'm the snooty roommate who's like, we used to be friends and now she calls me a geek. (laughs) Yes, I totally remember you. Yes, yes. That's awesome. I love that episode. What a good episode to be on because she was like nominated for an Emmy for it. I know. So people would see you. Yes, yes. Yeah, she was, I wish my scene could have been with her. I'll be like, I just came to see her grandmother because I was really concerned about her. That's awesome. Well, that feels, because it's like, I imagine like that's your first gig when you come to New York and you're like, that's it. I'm going to be famous because I just got Law and Order right out the gate. So I actually, Law and Order wasn't my first gig, but it was my first break. But I was going, I was cleaning out my inbox because you know in Google they're like you only have X amount of space left delete some emails I was like okay and I went back and I found some of my real early auditions and I was like okay (laughs) all right but I remember looking at the breakdown and I was like whoo okay you did anything you would do anything when you first start right (laughs) so but yeah I was just I was just talking to my husband about this because I started we started our career like I was doing a lot of we were both doing like some professional work and some not so professional work down in Miami and South Florida so I would get like great commercial work and get paid like thousands of dollars like I was the sonic burger girl in Spanish in like the Houston Texas market for a couple of years in the early aughts but then I then but then we would answer I would answer any any audition I would just go you know Mm -hmm. and I remember I was just telling my husband yesterday 
um, a story about like we did. The, I did this film where we're like th- me, these, me and this three other actresses like showed up on set, and oh, the no. girl was like, it was like at her mother's house, like it was at the house where she lived in with like her parents. We didn't realize she was like twenty. Like sets as if it was like high school, like theater, bad, but even worse. Oh, and God. she thought she was going to make a professional film and wanted it to be a feature length, and like the poor thing. Like, I think, Tom, you came in and did a couple bits for us. Yeah. Because she was desperate. You had me come audition for this mess, and I was like, I was cast as horrendous. You know, I was like, and the lighting was wrong. And then it was, was and then I auditioned in like a scene, like imagine the movie uh, Office Space. Like, I auditioned in this like luncheon room. In an office yes. building. I don't even know how she had the hookups. I was the strangest. I remember us watching the movie and being like, what the hell was... <laughs> what, what What did we do? Like, I know. it was. I felt so bad for her because she was really trying her best. But like, you know, it was like her first anything. The moral of the things we get into in the, in oh, the beginning. Yeah. And God <laughs> yeah. bless her. And, like, God bless wherever don't... she is, whoever you are. Good luck to you. Thank you. <laughs> we also don't know, like, you're allowed to say no at that point. Because, yeah. like, I remember I took one job that was, like, a promo. It was, what did they do when they do, like, a, a fake spot for a, auditioning for a spot? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, they make a fake yeah. promo to try to get the, the company to hire them to make the actual commercial. Uh, yeah. Like a pilot? So like we, some sort of pilot? I was in the fake commercial. <laughs> I remember <laughs> it was so low budget. And it was about teenagers. And uh, I don't even remember what the product was. It was supposed to be some kind of Facebook ripoff, I think. I remember sitting in the makeup chair and literally just sitting there. And all of a sudden, one of my eyebrows got shaved off. And I was like, what? We didn't talk about this. And she was like, oh, this is how I do it. And I was like, you should have told me you were going to touch my eyebrows. Just literally just took a razor and shaved most of them. And I was like, okay. And then she also was using like the same makeup brushes for everybody, not cleaning them in between. And I remember being like, I don't think this is how this is supposed to go. And and then the producers came in and they're like, okay, did everybody bring their own wardrobe? How's everyone doing? And I remember later in my life being like, what the heck? It was so, yeah, the things. Yeah, the early things are terrifying sometimes. It's one of the things I don't think you're taught is like confidence in yourself because you're 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 in this industry and in and, and being an artist it's like you must say yes you must everything 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 you can it, it is it is imperative to be discerning from the jump like if I was gonna go back now I'd be to myself be more discerning do not just take every bone you know and and it's okay if don't freak out about everything some things you because you have this now you know and it, like there's funny stories but it's like well, oh my god what was I doing like you know what did I learn nothing I learned not to do this like, or yeah. <laughs> the, the way that um. My representation at the time would sometimes say, like, if you do this, it will make this opportunity happen. So I would sometimes take an opportunity that I didn't really want to. And then it would never go anywhere. And you'd be like, yep, that was, I'm really glad I went for that thing. I lost yeah. an eyebrow. Unless- yeah, <laughs> was it worth the eyebrow? But it again, was definitely it's, not worth. You just never know what will lead to what. So you're sort of like, yeah, I'll just say yes to this reading in a basement where there are no windows and I'm actually paying them to be here and <laughs> I'm making up the script. I'm writing it for them. Yeah. And no one showed up. I'm so glad I did this project. Two two people in the audience if you're lucky sometimes. Don't you love yeah. that? You could, yeah, that's another thing to catch earlier on when you're being used. Because don't you love those readings and workshops with like, so what do you, that moment you did, you did that. It was so great. What do you think? Like, how would you change the line? Like, okay, let's, let's use that. That's great. Like, oh, so now I'm writing. And then you don't realize, oh, you're writing the script for them. Yeah. And then there's some auditions in some plays that you do. And then the people involved turn out to like, just shoot into the stratosphere. Right. Because I, yeah, I did a, I did a, I did a wacky play 
that was like set in space where I played a Russian bounty hunter in space. And I loved the show. It was with Josh Conkle, who's an incredible TV writer, but, but you know, never would have thought that. And then I think the writer of that show went on to do, the writer of the book or the music went on to do also incredible things. Right. But it, it, you just don't know who's going to, some of our friends from EST, like you act with them, you goof around with them. And the next thing they're on an HBO series and you're like, okay. All right. Yeah. Well, that's weird. Not weird. Yeah. They deserve it. It's absolutely great. But it's weird when you're like, we like got drunk in a stairwell together. You know, now you're on this amazing TV show with mm-hmm. all these fancy people. I know. No, it's super but- duper duper wild. <laughs> like you said, so many talented people that I know just got so frustrated that they just stopped. And then mm-hmm. it, it really is. It, there is like a thing. You've got to have this not it's not about the talent necessarily. It's like a a mindset you have to have, I think, to break through to that next layer of just being able to handle, because it's crazy. Like when you break through that next layer, I feel like there's a big amount of crazy that comes with it and you have to like be able to take that. Mm, yeah, that's a really so good this, point. Does this lead into um, the trajectory of where you go next is interesting. So did you ever leave and come back? And is that how you ended up in audiobooks where you're like, I can't do this part anymore? Does this all mesh together? Yeah, it does. It's, uh, yeah. So so basically for like, I moved to New York City two years before New Year's in 2006. So I guess like mm. January of 2007 up until mm, about 2015, I was like hustling. Well, actually, you know what? I don't think I hustled. You're going to maybe ask this question. So I'm just going to just throw the regret question in there. Oh, you're taking my darkness. Okay. I love it. Favorite question. Tom's favorite question. Okay, so the, I'm just, I'll probably have more to say about it. But the thing that I did, I think, in my early career is I was so fussy about, like, things that I shouldn't have been fussy about. And I didn't, meaning, like, representation would send me an audition for, like, ABC. And I'd be like, ooh, this time isn't good for me. Can we move it to, like, a different time? And I didn't realize how rude and inconvenient that was. And, like, you get an audition from ABC, you move your life around to make it happen. Yeah. So yeah. there were some things that, like, if it, if I was, I didn't do well with discomfort. I think I lost a lot of opportunities that I maybe should have taken because I was so scared of failure and success. Mm-hmm. And so I was so worried about if this opportunity happens, I would think all the way through of all the things that would happen that would change my life. And I would either self-sabotage it or I wouldn't like I remember um, a couple auditions. I just like was so worried about not doing well on the audition. I wouldn't prepare the way I needed to. I just got in my way. So my own way so much of just like being needing everything to be perfect and afraid that it wasn't that I just would blow it sometimes. I think that I I guess that was a regret I had is like I wish I would have gotten I wish I would have given myself more freedom to play. And also take more risks and say no and yes more. Mm-hmm. Like no to the stuff that is the weird reading in the basement and yes to like bigger projects that might be scarier because of how they could change my life. But like it, I wish I could have had that foresight that like it doesn't matter that much. You're 23. Just go for it. That's such so, a universal theme unto itself too though because it, I, I imagine like lawyers preparing or anybody to, or like you're in this job and like you're given this opportunity and like, oh, I don't know, like a move, I'll be lonely or but the money's double and it's like, but you know, it's like risk, like just risk it to be, you know, like it's life will go on. It's not, you know, if you fail, you'll fail and life will continue. Yeah. 
But I also feel like we're to- we're given this message from birth, basically, of like, you will follow this path and we will mm-hmm. help you prepare for this mm-hmm. path. And then if you go to college, they continue to shape you for what you're going to be. And then you leave college and you're like, where's the roadmap? It's Hello, where's my yellow brick road? Hello. Like, Good fucking luck. Get out there and make it happen. And at least Dorothy had fucking ruby slippers with her. <laughs> like, you know, like, <laughs> like she had a, ro- and a roadmap. Oh, I got nothing. I got ruby slippers. What am I going to do with them? <laughs> I just. So I I felt like you're you have and I think in what I got so bogged down with was I just felt like there was this expectation that I needed to like make it or be something or there was just this pressure and this perfectionism that would show up. You can, of course, uh, you know, once you're past, let's say in your 30s, you could tell your 20 year old self like you really don't need to worry about that. It is not a big deal. But and when mm. you're in the moment, you just can't see it. That is circling back around to my regret was I don't think my career I did very well. Like I got on several TV shows. I had a great experiences in the theater. I never made enough to uh, support myself financially in those avenues, but I partially think it's because I never really went for it 100%. I always had like one toe out of the water because I was so worried about stability that I always had a day job and I I let that day job be, like that was the thing about the auditions. I'd be like, ooh, this would be an inconvenient time to go on an audition because my boss has a meeting I need to be around for. And it's like, my priorities got mixed up. I think that I was so nervous of letting go of security that I wasn't willing to take those risks. And that's why I don't think my career didn't turn out maybe the way that it could have because I I think the people I see that are really what we as society consider successful is that they go all in almost to the point of breaking and then something happens and then they go, woo, I never did that. I never like threw myself all the way in because I was just too scared of failure and success. I never wanted to be a starving artist. So I always had like a secure day job. Mm -hmm. But then your soul starts to shrink and wither away. Um, I was like nine toes out and one toe in. Mm -hmm. And that's when audiobooks showed up. I was like ready to just leave. And like my my day job was working as an executive assistant in investment banking, which is of course, like an intense job. Mm-hmm. But it yeah. paid well. Yeah. And I was good at so it. Many, so many artists are in finance in some way. It's so funny because I have several friends who are actually, and they are executive assistants. And it, like, it eats your life. Yeah. But it, it's, a, it's a good job in a way because it's nine to five. You get paid well. Unless you work for a really high profile executive, you kind of can have a life outside of it. I think as an executive assistant, I, actually in your first episode, Jenny, I was listening to you talk about all the skills that you've gathered from being an artist and how it makes you better at your day job. And I think mm-hmm. that's so true because you have to learn how to act quickly on your feet. Mm-hmm. You know how to change. If you don't feel great on the inside, you can very easily act your way through a meeting. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you, people. you know how to go off script if like improvisation, it's um, all kinds of things. So I could see how fr- people and also I think in the finance industry was the way I got into that was I just needed a job and I was too scared to waitress because I thought people would eat me alive, literally. And I signed up to be a temp and the temp jobs were in finance because they can afford to pay somebody to be a basically a temp is you're like a substitute teacher for an executive assistant. And like Mm -hmm. people in finance can pay for that where everybody else in the world would be like, oh, you're just not here and everybody else will cover for you. (laughs) It's attempts, but I tempt too. I tempt and I ended up temping a a lot for whatever reason. I tempted for a couple of me. I tempted tempt for a couple media companies. And then I got, I did like a short stint in day jobs in the fashion industry in like fashion PR companies. Yeah. Remember that? 
And I would get like so much free stuff. My whole closet was just yes. the free shit I would get from the PR agencies. Yeah, I rem- I think that's when we did the underwear play. At- <laughs> and I think I probably stole a bunch you of underwear. <laughs> you brought a bunch of yes. underwear because we were like, Alison Morgan, who's also a guest on the show, was in the show with us. And I just remember uh, we were like mean girls, right? I don't even remember what I the think play so. was called. We were just mean girls in a shop wearing like McDonald's uniforms. I think we were supposed to be in like a Victoria's Secret. Yes, we were. If I recall. We all these bras. And I was just like, ooh. That one was really good. And it was. It was Alison Morgan, me, you. It was directed by Abigail Zeely Best, who was incredible. And she brought like a bunch of her underwear too. It was like a girl party. We had so much fun just being mean girls on stage together. This is fun. Listening to this is so wasted on me. It's sad that I'm not straight. Because then I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> you could borrow some of the jeweled underpants. If I would. Yeah. Well, no, it's so it's so funny, uh, Megan, because it's we. Uh, I've been, I've been thinking about this a lot during the podcast, and like we had my my coworker Katie is our second episode, and she's a professional dancer. She's a contemporary dancer. She runs her own contemporary dance studio, and she performs all over San Francisco. And we work together at my job, and I don't. Know, and she. And I don't know if it's just the mindset. She's about, she's about 10 years younger than than myself and Tom. I won't say anything about your age, Megan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. But she was like, I just don't. And, and we work in tech. And she was like, I just don't. I let them know up front that I, I'm going to take daytime hours off whenever I want. Because there's no way I would take this job if they didn't let me do the other thing that I love, which is dance. And I was like... I never, ever fucking had that mindset when I was trying to get day jobs and doing this thing 10, 15 years ago. And if I had, maybe like the stability piece would have gone a little bit differently. If I had had more flexibility in the day job or even, it didn't even occur to me that I could, you know, because it was like, we were, I think just socialized differently um, generationally or something where I was like, my boss is never going to let me. And she just goes, oh no, they just have to. And I'm like, oh God bless younger millennials for just being able to make their own like hours in that way and just stand up for themselves. It's just, I didn't, I did not have that mindset. Well, please. Like, I and I think to, that's why I struggled too. I used to freak out. I mean, I was waiting tables and I'm like, I can't miss this shift. They'll fire me. Oh my God. Then I'll be homeless. Uh, right away. I was like, I'm going to be homeless. I actually had a friend once cause I was freaking out and she was, I had a friend. I have many friends. I, I had a friend once. Sure have, you do. I, one of my friends, one of my friends was like, Tom, like as long as there's breath in my body, you and your dog will not be homeless. Okay. I was like, so call out of the shift. You know what I mean? Like I just had this, this mindset to have, maybe cause I grew up poor. That I was like, I can't miss this shift. I can't miss this shift. But yet I'm fight. I'm not here to fight. I'm not in New York to fight to be a waiter. You know, I'm like, I'm here to fight for something else. But I, mean, I gave the fight to the wrong, to the wrong subject for a while. You yeah. know? Yeah. Our priorities were fucked. Oh, well, I think I was in the middle because I ended up I ended up getting most of the people I worked for in my day jobs to work around my schedule a little bit. Then I didn't I had the same mentality, Jenny, of like, then once they gave me the freedom, I didn't take it always. I mem- I remember some uh the last company I worked at, they reached out to me cuz I had worked at several different companies as a temp and then one of them liked me so much they made me their permanent temp and I had freedom to go on auditions and whatnot and it was really really great. But I remember that company ended up downsizing and I got let go. Then two of the people moved to a different company and wanted to hire me, but I was like, well, 
I'm still acting. So these are the parameters. And they were like, sure, sure, we can make it work. And then you're in the spot and it's like different. It's different when they're like, we can make it work. And that's I think your friend's mindset is also would have been better because if if they say they're going to do it, she would probably just go for it. it, Where I was like, do they mean it? Will they be mad? I don't know. And I have this big piece where I just feel like I couldn't this was a thing in my 20s I think I've let go for the most part now of oh I better as not as you're reaching 29 as, as I'm reaching 29, 29 <laughs> right mm-hmm. of just like being so worried about letting other people down and mm. not worrying about how I'm actually letting myself down mm-hmm. I would put other people's mm-hmm. priorities in front of mine so like I'd have an opportunity and I'd be like oh that just won't work because Bill's got a meeting during that time and I know he's going to need me to give him coffee at like exactly 4.07 p.m. I better be there to answer that phone, even though that's what voicemail is for. For. We had to sit at the desk and have a human answer the phone. And I just I think like I was told I was given the freedom, but I think I wasn't brave enough to execute it because I knew I was really good at that job. And they would have worked like actually there was one time when they did work around me to a point where I got to go away for three weeks and do a play and then come back. So that was a pretty big deal. But then I came back and they're like, by the way, we've bumped up your position. So now you work for the CEO. And I was like, I never asked for this. And they're like, great, you'll just stay here till we find a temp. And a temp never came. And I just stayed there. So I was like, okay. So it was like, yes, you can go away. But we tightened your shackles when you've returned. I was like, oh, okay. They were oh wonder- I don't want to I'm not trash talking them in any way. They were a wonderful company to work for, but um they're they've got a business to run. Totally. They, they don't need their assistants running off to New Mexico to do a play. You're nine toes out, one toe in at this point. And then VO came along. What audiobooks, not just VO, audiobooks came along. What happened? Uh, this is important because for people who are listening like this is actually a valid career and wait because this is one of the career venues that I wish I had known about and thought about sooner I can't say how many people have like gone to audio and been like and making good livings like with insurance with like, like insurance you know I'm like, I was like this is and it's still artistry and it's still the like Megan is one of the people who reads to you at night and like you know like, oh my god she is like, soothing soothing, so come soothing thoughts with Megan Tusing. um so how it came about was I had a friend who was also a teacher of mine in college she had developed a audiobook career of her own and messaged me to say hey I'm going to be in town for this awards show that's happening in New York City do you want to get dinner and we had dinner she was telling me all about audiobooks and this award ceremony that I was like okay cool I just didn't it didn't register. I didn't really take it that seriously at first because I was like oh that's great for her she's having a really good time and she said you should consider doing this. I think it would fit your temperament really well. And my mindset at the time was, oh my gosh, I can't start at the bottom of another totem pole. I cannot start over again. I've worked so hard to just get to where I am, a whole nother branch of the art form. And it also sounded really complicated because it's not like you just go out and act. You've got to like buy a setup and learn how to use the microphone and teach yourself how to use the software. And there's no like, there is no backstage. You have to just like find out how to meet people. It it felt overwhelming to me. So I kind of blew her off for a little while. Which is your theme, it seems like. (laughs) Yep. She was a, yeah. Somebody is like, here's the golden ticket. And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, (laughs) maybe. Okay. They're like, here's the key to the fountain of youth. I kind of like being old. <laughs> um, so, Merch. okay, it took me a little while. Then she finally just was like, come to my house. 
listen to me record. I'll lend you a microphone. I'll introduce you to people. And I finally sort of started listening. Fast forward, basically, there's this big conference called the Audio, uh, what's called APAC for short, A-P-A-C, the Audio Publishers Association Conference that happens every year. And she was like, just sign up for the conference. It'll be a good opportunity for you to meet people, expand your network. So basically, I did that. And she also was mentoring me. After that experience, I met so many narrators and created new relationships because it it really is who you know. That's how you get started. It's like building your network and I had to, I went to one of the happy hours that the APA hosted and I met a audio engineer there who took me under his, I just also cornered people and would just be like, tell me everything about your life. Tell me how you got started. What do you do? And I just sit there fascinated and listen to them. And this wonderful friend, Tom said, you know, there's this audio conference happening at the Javits Center in a couple of weeks. Why don't we go and we can listen, test our test your voice on different microphones and help you with the setup. While we were at that conference, he was like, oh, I have a client who's going to be getting out of audiobooks and she's selling her entire setup, which is what you see me in right now. She sold her whisper room, her microphone, her computer, her uh, digital digital audio workshop software, like all of it for like a third of the price I would have had to pay if I did it on my own. Hadn't booked a single job yet, but I was like, if it doesn't work out, I can always sell it. And so this is an example of going all in. And that's why I think it has worked because I went 110% into audiobooks because I don't, there was a different, um, I didn't care if I failed at this where I cared if I failed at the other stuff. This was like, okay, I'll give it a try. And that's why I think it happened. So it was through meeting someone and then taking classes and um, going to events and building my network. And then there's also, for people who are just getting started, a website uh, that is created by Audible called ACX. I believe it stands for Audible Creative Exchange. And it's like a dating site, basically, for authors and narrators. And authors can post their books on there and narrators can, narrators can audition for them to also produce them. And that's a way to, that's how a lot of people, like once that platform was created, I think the audiobook industry sort of blew up because then anybody could do it. And so you can get started that way. But I also was very lucky in having somebody who was already established in the industry gave me, connect, gave me introductions to casting directors and gave me an opportunity to audition. And I know that's very rare and not, that was a gift that I, I didn't recognize at the time how great that was, but I definitely do now. Oh yeah, I was going to say, and a gift you finally took. A <laughs> gift I finally slapped myself around enough for and figured out like, yeah, this is the one you should open. And, and you, so, you've recorded over 250 books. Is that correct. true? That's, that's a big, that's like, and what's, what's some of your favorite uh, and anything wild and crazy, like some stuff you're like, I can't believe I'm reading this. This is filthy. Well, I'll never like tell in- you what those are. <laughs> I have a different, I have a different name. I read those under. Yay. Hello. Yeah, oh I, uh, yeah, I do. I do. Okay. What are some of my favorite books? One, I'm going to do a shameless plug. One that was just nominated for the award show my friend told me about got nominated for an Audi is what they're called. They're like the Oscars nice. of audiobooks. It's called The Seven Day Switch by Kelly Harms. And uh, I co-narrated it with uh, the lovely Arielle Delisle. And we got nominated. And it's it's a really fun um, book about two moms who couldn't be more different, uh, who basically do a Freaky Friday exchange. Uh, they go to a, like a PTA meeting. They drink this sangria that somehow they wake up in each other's bodies the next day. And it's so funny. And it's, but it's also really heartfelt and beautiful. And um, it was a great time. 
totally going to be a movie. Like that, I would see that. That would be a great movie. It's going to be. I would definitely see that. And oh, that's so cool. Well, congratulations on the out. Was that your first Audi? It was not, actually. Ah! <laughs> I got not, nominated. Darling. No, darling, please. This is no, my 12. please, please go on. <laughs> Uh, I had one other nomination in 2020. Oh, it was right. The ceremony was like the day, like two days before the whole city shut down from the pandemic. The other book was called The Last Astronaut by David Wellington, which was my first sci-fi book I ever read. But it was also, um, I felt like one of the first books I just connected with on one of those emotional levels where there were like tears during the book. And so when it got nominated, it was a huge surprise but also helped confirm for me what works when I'm preparing for a job and when I'm actually doing it and narrating it, I know what instincts to trust now. Mm. What, are you, what do you do to prepare for a job? When you get an audiobook, you should read the entire thing before you actually <laughs> narrate it. So you can, you know, figure out the big joke is you don't want to get to page 500 and then realize he said in his Irish accent, and then you were supposed to be doing this whole book with an accent. Or, you know, you don't know, you could play a certain character one way and then discover halfway through the book that they're actually supposed to be something different. Like, you don't want to be caught off guard and then have to re-record the whole thing or not give the listener or the author the the delivery that they deserve and and really cherish their work. So you read the whole thing, you take detailed notes about the different characters. It's sort of like how I would prepare for a play, but I do it for like 500 different characters and you just have oh to figure God. out who they are and what their backstory is and mostly just preparing to know what kind of voice you're going to use for the character and if there are any accents and if there are any pronunciations are a thing I never had to deal with before. You have to, the accuracy, word accuracy is so important. And you will also learn there are things you have been saying your whole life that you never knew were wrong. I always said mischievous, and it's actually mischievous because it's like mischief. Really? But in West Virginia, we say mischievous. I always said mischievous as well. You'd get a correction on that, Jenny Gomez. Oh, you know, <laughs> my God. You know, it's funny because uh, through my writing for the social edge, like, I sometimes come across words that I'm like, I could have sworn that was spelled differently. I can, I'm like, I'm not a stupid person. And I'm like, damn, I'm like, I'm actually at the things you learn when, when, when you're, when you're forced to do some research and things. Yes. Oh, yeah. I'm so fascinated. And 250 audiobooks. I am assuming Megan Tusing that you no longer have a day job. <laughs> I don't. Yay. <laughs> career, yeah. It, it took me, I was working at that, uh, executive assistant gig but that was I that was when I had come back from the play and they were like congratulations you've been promoted even though you didn't want to be (laughs) a job I actually really loved the job but at the time I wasn't interested in that kind of work but it ended up working out because it helped me build a financial cushion in order to leave that job so I could be here Mm -hmm. so I was working like probably 80 hour weeks though, because I would Uh. go do my day job and then I would come home at night and record. And I (gasps) did that for about two years. (gasps) And then I left my day job. Wow. Two years. Well, it wasn't like I was doing audiobooks. Like I wasn't working 80 hours a week that whole two years. It sort of built to that point. And that's when I just like had a moment when I... um, Something had to give. Yeah. I was just like, okay, I have to choose because I can't do both. And I knew that... Like I could have, I could have been a career admin. I, I could have kept that job and I, but I also knew like, there's only going to be so many chances, so many gifts that are going to be handed to me. And I can either take this and see where it goes. And if I fall flat on my face, I can go back and try to find another 
day job, but I'm not going to always have this opportunity. So I took the jump. Yes. Good. We love that. We love that for you and you deserve it. <laughs> yeah, I learned the lesson Five of not doing review. it the first time. So yeah. Yeah. Oh, love it. Oh, I, this feels like a success to me. So uh, this is delicious. And I'm so happy to hear. And are you, I mean, I'm assuming this must feel as, as an actress, and of course you're still an actress and, and even you're just acting in audiobook now. Do you like, do you still, do you find that same delicious joy um, that you did sort of researching a character on stage that you do sort of reading a character for an audiobook? I'll be honest. I don't enjoy audiobooks as much as I do theater. Like if mm. I could have it my way, I would just be a theater performer who made millions of dollars. <laughs> but, the, but because the reality is the kind of theater that I'm interested in doing isn't going to pay that. And mm. there's also a, there's other limitations within performance where you're seen. I'm not going to get cast for the kind of roles that I want to play because of how I look. And, the you know, there's not necessarily all of the roles I'd want to play, but I have limitations put on me where with a voice, there are also limitations, but there's, I can play all the characters in the book. So mm. that part is fun and I do enjoy that more. However, there is nothing like being on stage and connecting with another person. The one thing that about audiobooks that is hard for me is the word perfection. Like you have to be, if you're not careful, this job can mess with your head in that because you do a book and then you get what's called corrections back. It's basically like getting a mini review after every performance of critiques of what you need to shift. And if you're mm. not careful um, in the beginning, I let that almost sabotage my career because I thought, oh my gosh, I have to stop breathing this way or my mic positioning needs to be different or I can't move when I'm speaking or there's a perfectionism that is expected in this type of product that I feel like is not expected on stage. Like you can be a little more human on stage. You flub your line. That's part of the fun. Like you find your way back to <laughs> right. it's what's the exciting about live theater is you are live in the moment in it. And audiobooks is still an exhilarating experience, but there's, it is a product being sold and it is treated differently. Fascinating. That's fascinating. Like I, we had a guest on uh, Jack McCarthy, who literally, who evolved from a, from a playwright, they wrote um, a YA novel and now they're in LA making their, trying to make their hand at TV and film. <laughs> he so graciously said, he's like, you know, I just decided it was time to sort of move away from theater because theater is a scam. <laughs> theater is a scam. Yep. And I just, I, and I don't, I, I, it's not that I don't believe that to be true. I just, it's very, it's, I think it's entirely possible that theater in its current iteration is possibly a scam because like there, we should, there, we should be able to make money. Like people, theater oh, artists should okay, be able fair. to, yeah, then, that is, that is a scam. Yeah. That's a scam. It's sort of been a scam um, the whole time when you think about it. From it's the a little bit, it's a little it's bit. It's very, you know, it, it's kind of like too many things in this world right now where it's run by like a very small group of people with lacking in much diversity. Um, the choices that are made are lacking in a lot of diversity. It's about storytelling, but we're not telling a lot of the stories we should be telling blah. You know, we all, we all mm -hmm. know the scoop, but, and, but a lot of people are now moving to TV and things that are more marketable products. Um, but I wonder if, and I always wonder, and something that this podcast has also sort of made me think about is what's the next life for the live theater? Because I refuse to believe that it's dead. I don't but think like, it will it, ever die. It is. I don't think so like either. the cockroach of acting. You can try <laughs> to kill it, but it will stick around. It will make it is through. The uh, theater is the Keith Richards of acting. It's like it's done everything. <laughs> well, no, it's just it's the live thing. It's like it's like it's the re same reason why people can listen to a million things online, but like going to see live music, going to see like human beings performing something in front of you, like 
I don't think human beings are ever going to not want to experience that, you know? Well, and that's something in the pandemic, like we couldn't go to live stuff. And I just went to one of my first plays in over two years. And the thing that was the most impactful was the audience laughing together and breathing Mm. together and the energy you physically felt in the room of being with other people, enjoying an experience as a unit. Like you might get that, I guess, if you go see a movie in the theater, you're not you're watching a very polished product on a screen that's been edited and moved around and all kinds of stuff has happened to it where like when you're in the theater, it's just raw humans up there. It just, I feel, you feel the humanity. You feel moved. This uh, Tom, you said this in the first episode of like why you keep going after it is because you still have stories to tell. I resonated with that so much because that's what this, that's what we are as creators. We're storytellers, whether of our own or someone else's. And that art is important and needs to be heard. And that's why I don't think live theater will ever die. Like, yes, TV and film and other more profitable types of work will probably proliferate and continue to do better. But there are scrappy people on the ground who are able to do work that's grittier when that price tag isn't attached to it. And I think people don't mm-hmm. want to give that up. That's like yeah. one of our, our guests from uh, Brie O'Connor, who's a producer and writer and actor. And she's an indie theater. Basically, we call it indie theater. You call it indie theater, but it's just theater. The only thing is that she doesn't have any money. So I guess it makes her indie theater, you know, but she's like, we're here and we, everybody's got a story and like, it's like, see, uh, see everything, hear everybody. And we're just not listening to, to, to all the people we could be. I think that's part mm-hmm. of the problem with theater, unfortunately. But yeah. um, because we could do a whole, and I want to, props to Megan to being the first guest, by the way, to actually quote Jenny and I back to prove that she listened <laughs> to the first episode. Thank you. <laughs> like, like, our, our undying narcissism. Thanks well, okay. you. Um, t- let's talk about, um, uh, let's touch on, so you yourself are a podcast. You know, what is the title of your? The Joyful Toolkit Podcast. <laughs> so tell us, what do you do? What do you discuss? What, 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 let's, let's, let's talk about who could be okay. a guest on your show, Megan. Well, I sort of, similarly to you all, see, I did listen because I, I was very, just yesterday, I, so it's very fresh in my head, but how Jenny was like, I, I had this dream. I have to create this podcast. I sort of, I didn't have a bottle of tequila, but I did basically like find myself covered in like quilts in my bed just being like oh my gosh why is everything so hard right now during COVID and I just the thing that inspires me and helps me get out of bed is listening to other people's uh, stories of how they overcome adversity how they have found themselves in hard situations and how they have moved through it and found their way back to their selves and joy and so I was yearning to have those kind of conversations and I thought a podcast would be a good medium because I don't think I can be alone in looking for that kind of rooted grounding and community and inspiration and so I had the idea at the end of 2020 I reached out to people who I had uh, either close relationships with already or had known from many years ago or had just met. Like it was a mixture of different people and just did very similarly to what you all are doing. I just came up with a bunch of questions and then we kind of went. We don't didn't always hit all the questions, but we the biggest uh, impact was hearing people talk about this, listening to how they navigated dif- difficult situations and seeing how it made them who they are today was so inspiring and also really beautiful to just learn about these people in a different way that I never would have outside of the circumstances of this podcast. I love that. It's like, when are you asking people questions like this, you know? And so 
But I filmed all of it in 2000, begin, end of 2020, beginning of 2021, and then I sat on it for about six to eight months. <laughs> I didn't know what to do with it. So, and then, and then it saw the light of day in January of this year. Fantastic. Well, I'm glad you got it out. Congratulations. Well, I think it's just yeah. proof positive, you know, what we're doing with you doing that is like people want to be heard. Yeah. And I think people, I think, I think one of the things we're ingrained in, not just as artists, but as humans is like, you're scared to ask to be heard. Yeah. And instead, instead of just like, I need to be heard and say it, like, please, yeah. hear, you know, and like, we're, a fe- everybody represses so much because like, I don't want to be a burden. I don't want to, who's got you, mm. you know, and that's your quotable tote bag. And I love too, like during the pandemic, like it was also, I think we were, I think we're all, the world is never going to go back to quote unquote normal. I don't think so personally, Mm-mm. but um, there's no way we've been through this crazy collective shift together. And so I think we're all looking for like our humanity again. And so searching for the joyful toolkit or the unusual creatures, like there's something to that. And like, I think we're in some sort of, I don't know, man, I, I'm let's ride this wave together and form a media conglomerate and go nuts <laughs> we'll do a conference it'll be great just the three of us there I, I can always find my way back to the dark um so as we as we wrap like megan like so i know you have your regrets about what you didn't do but like overall in general you're a smart woman you have clearly talents all over the map do you regret art do you regret like is it was you I mean you could have done all these other things do you, do you sit up any day like what keeps you going or do you think i should have done this instead no i don't think i would trade any of the moments that led me to where I am right now. And if I had the option of going to major in business or major in theater, knowing everything that I know now, I would still major in theater. I think that there's a part of me that I've I've fought for a very long time that needs this kind of creativity and playfulness and joy in, in my life. And I just, I finally am like, nope, you need it and it's okay. And other people need it too. And I've finally embraced that I am just an artist and that's who I am. And I will, I think when I was faced with the decision halfway through my time in New York City, where I did get let go from that secure day job, I had a choice to go get another secure day job or be an actor. And that I think was a pivotal moment because I decided to continue to be an actor and go get a multiple day jobs to help support that dream. And that told me that I can't just walk away from it um i I don't regret it i don't regret it but could my life have been easier maybe but i think my soul would have withered away slowly like an apple totally moisture yeah (laughs) i know i totally agree and it's thank you megan i think like i needed to hear that today and i'm sure many many others did too um, but yeah, it's true. I think, I think we, I think this is going to sound so over the top of what's in my head is I think we are inevitable. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, I think there's nothing, I think we could fight it, like fight, not try not to be creatives, but I think it would always find us again, whether we liked it or not. Oh know? yeah. It pops so up. It's like, keep remember me? And you're like, <laughs> I actually used to describe my relationship with the art. Like it was this hot guy in a motorcycle jacket who just like rolled up and was like, Hey babe. Want to go for a ride? And I was like, oh, my God, yes. And we'd, like, have the best time. And then he'd drop me off and be like, I'll call you. And then he wouldn't call. And then the cute guy with, like, the sweater vest was like, hey, I'm here for you all the time. We'll totally support you. You don't have to do a thing. I've got you. And I was like, thanks, Ted. But I really like that guy. And, like, I just couldn't get away from motorcycle guy, even though he seemed so bad for me. Always oh, a bad guy. You know. Always a bad boy. Yes. Always a bad boy. Sweater vest it's guy. One you know. thing that popped up the way you were, um, when you were taught, when you were, 
which this has been a very inspirational episode for me. I have to say, Megan, you're like I, t- I want you to teach at NYU. I Did you hear that NYU? NYU, NYU, you there? And like <laughs> Rick, can you get to NYU? And like, <laughs> tenure, tenure. Like, like, if we go into the world, as because everybody looks at artists and be like, oh God, what are you doing? And I feel like it's, I don't know if it's an envy or if it's an anger or if, or if it's people who like you guys don't matter, but you want to just say to somebody like, listen, okay, you're a doctor and I can't do what you do. I'm an actor and you can't do what I do. And it's all okay. And we're all important. We're just all doing our thing. So please don't shit on what I can do. You know, don't, like we're just, artists. This is what we are. Please just try to support me as I support you to go through law school. That's, you know, like, yeah. can we just do this for each other? Yeah. You can know? you, you as the lawyer come to see my performance that gives you a laugh or enlightenment or helps you see a part of your soul that you didn't know existed, and yet you will make more in an hour than I will make in a year. Could we even the playing field a little bit? Because we're both actually helping people heal. Please, just a little. Just a little. (laughs) Especially for some of the smaller indie stuff, too. Not just, like, the big blockbuster stuff. I think it should be, like, spread a little bit more evenly. Yeah. as well, even within our own industries. That's what we're, we're going to change the world. We're going to be like, this is what hey, we're trying everybody. to do. So Megan, this is the moment. Let's let's self-shamelessly, let's shamelessly promote. What is going on in your life? How can people find you? What are you working on? Well. More shameless uh, plugs. We want a little more. Okay. <laughs> well, as I have a lot of projects that I can't necessarily disclose because of NDA reasons, I'll just say, go to audible.com. Type in my name. You'll see all the fun projects that I'm working on. Um, one book that I had a really good time last year, besides the one I plugged earlier, was a James Patterson book called Jailhouse Lawyer. It's two books in one. I had a really good time doing that one. So Yay. that's a plug. And as far as other stuff I'm doing, I will probably have the second season of the podcast coming out later this year, but I've got to figure out how all that's going to happen. I don't know. I have been feeling the need to create something else that has no outcome attached. I was having this conversation with another one of my friends recently about how we as artists, like, it's great that it's now my job, but when you attach revenue generating need to the art that you make, sometimes it takes the fun out of it. So I'm looking for a new creative project that has no kind of financial strings attached that can just be fun. So um, I guess watch my Instagram. How can we find you on Insta? Do you have a website? What's going on? You can find me on the webs at megantusing.com or you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Megan Tusing. Everybody hire Megan Tusing to read your audiobooks. Let's get yeah. her back. Let's get, get Megan back on a stage, please. Joyful Toolkit Podcast. Megan, it's been so nice catching up with you. This was an absolute pleasure. And then some. You yes. as well. What the giggles we had. I'm so, I'm, <laughs> I, I, I can't wait to meet you in person one day. I, I, I'm coming fabulous. to Florida. I'll be, there. I'll be there in a hot, sweaty second. Just like <laughs> <laughs> well, thank she you, Megan. Thank you for joining us. We very much appreciate you and good luck to everything. And hopefully one day you will come back and join us again. We'll do a part two because I think Ooh, there's yes. a, a, an endless well of story there. Thank you all for listening. It's been another great week. Um, continue to do good in the world. Go support your local artists. Please follow us on all of our socials, on Instagram, Twitter, and you come to my Facebook page, Thomas Dane and um, Jenny. Yes. Have a great week. Take us out. Yes. Uh, and yes, and we are often retweeting, resharing all of the projects that all of our artists um, that have joined us are working on. Um, and we, of course, will be sharing Megan's. You'll be able to find all of her links at the link tree. The second this episode goes live, we thank Megan. We thank all of you wonderful listeners. Obviously, subscribe, leave a review, throw us some five stars, tell your friends, you know Come the drill. Us. Come stalk yeah. us. <laughs> 
Tom wants literal stalkers, so please feel free. He wants all I'm the single, Twitter trolls. So, you know. You've got one now. He's single. Yeah. <laughs> right behind you. Thank you, everybody. This was a delight. And we, as always, are the Unusual Creatures, and we'll see you next week. Thanks so much for listening to The Unusual Creatures. We love telling the stories of these creatives, and we hope you love listening to them. You know the drill. Subscriber, you love listening to pods. Send links to your friends and tell everyone you know about this show. And I mean everyone. Counting the minutes until we meet again. And keep being unusual creatures. Unusual creatures.